Welcome to the Inspired Teacher's Guide podcast. We are Kim Wilkin and Laura Woolbridge, the two teachers trying the podcast. We are so glad that you joined us. Our goal is to help you by discussing a variety of topics that will help you as a whole in the same way we want to focus on the whole child. On this podcast, we will be talking in and outside the classroom. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, everybody. Today is a great day. This is an everybody podcast. Mm, and when we post something about being an everybody episode, that means we want to, you to share it with everyone. They do not have to be teachers. They can just be a regular human being walking down That's the street right. and they need this information. Everybody and anybody. <laughs> Okay, we are not going to review our cute and comfy episode, but we do want to remind you that all the information we share with sites and people to follow and products and clothing ideas are on the show notes. And there is a Google Doc linked on episode 12. That was, Mm -hmm. yeah, episode 12, that you can click on and see all of these ideas that we have for you for the fall. That's right. Cute things. Mm -hmm. And it's coming, surely. Now it's still kind of hot outside in Arkansas, but you know, it'll be here. Yeah, we have hope. So, okay, since we have learned from Angie, Amy, and Natalie, and those were episodes four, eight, nine, and 10, if you have not listened to those episodes, we cannot encourage you enough. We learned so much, didn't we? Gosh, I mean, it, it so has good. helped me in and outside the classroom. Just what we wanted, our it, goal. Exactly. Yes, it has me too. And I don't have kids at home. You still have little kids at home. I don't, but I still have people around me. So it doesn't, it's not just with children. That's it is, right. It is just work, just living and having relationships. It's important. In every, in every relationship we have, I think we can use these tools. Kim and I have been on a personal journey of trying to implement, like we said, in, our, in, our, in the classroom and outside the classroom. We know the power of learning about how the brains work and what big impacts those bring. Um, Let's do some touches on what we've learned in those past episodes from Angie, Natalie, or Amy, and um, just kind of review some great information. Sounds great. What what is still sticking with you weeks later? Okay. The biggest thing for me is the connections part. People realizing that people are seeking connections. I know this is true with my own family. One of my children, my youngest, Landon, and my husband each have Quality time is their primary love language. Both of them, we've done the love language test. It's always quality time. I tend to pull away when I feel upset or hurt, or even if I'm tired, I just kind of retreat. Pull. I do because mm-hmm. I'm I'm not a fight girl. I'm a flight girl. You're it's, a bubble bath girl. I'm a go get in that bubble <laughs> bath and you, you do. Yeah, I, that's totally me. So that is not what my my people that I love require. Mm -hmm. And when they seem like they need more from me, I'm teaching myself to stop and think about their emotional needs. And they're, they're seeking that connection with me because that's how they, that's how they feel loved. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's just great. Yes. (laughs) That is is a great realization to have because it it will help your relationships be stronger. Uh, The other one was listening non-judgmentally and giving hope with facts. Yeah. That hope with facts. Huge. Man. I Honestly, I've done these spiritual gifts inventories. I love tests like that. I'm always trying to find out what kind of cheese I am. <laughs> ENTJ. Yeah, all the things. <laughs> all the tests. And I have realized that encouraging people is not a struggle for me. Like mm, that, yeah, that, you're a great encourager. That comes naturally. Mm-hmm. 
but I think we have to be real careful. So when that really struck a chord with me about giving hope with facts. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a big one. What about you? Well, lots. Um, the I statements, I have really been trying to implement those. The other day, I told my children to get ready, go take a shower. And I came downstairs, made breakfast, walked upstairs. And one of my children, who will remain unnamed, was sitting on the couch, not getting ready. <laughs> and I could have reacted poorly and yeah. wanted to really bad. But all I said was, I noticed you're not taking a shower. And he goes, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, Mama. And he ran and hopped in the shower. So you didn't even have to fuss at him or anything? No, it was a quick statement instead of an argument. And I was like, wow, that worked. (laughs) (laughs) This stuff really does work. Yeah. Um, Another thing that has really stuck with me is that wellness wheel. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, I love it. Me too. I've really been dotting around, not like too seriously working on any of the areas, but just dotting around that intellectual area. I've been reading a great book that I highly recommend to you. I've got to get it. And Dixie, if you're listening, this is for you too, sister. The Elimination of Hurry. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's great, listeners. Now, it does come from a biblical perspective. And so if that's not your jam, you can just subtract that out of your listening. But the principles are really good and just the ponder points, I think. Okay. And so even though that's like my intellectual growth, I can apply it to the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, what's it called? Again? Oh, um, Elimin- the elimination of hurry. Okay. Yeah. We'll, put that oh, we'll link notes. in the show notes. And you and I have both been oh, gratitude journaling. Yes. Ah, yes. It really brings me smiles every day. I know because, you know, that obviously is scriptural too. count your blessings. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because that is, that is, of value to me. Right. But it's also one thing that I, I don't do because it's real easy to think about, oh, I should do this. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Or this is going bad. This right. is, you know, yeah. there's nothing positive. And I'm mean, literally when I'm writing stuff down, it is so basic. Mm-hmm. It's like ice. I know. <laughs> the washing machine, art, color, just simple, simple things. And then big things too. Mm-hmm. But I have really enjoyed that because it's had me slow down and I notice I'm smiling. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about good things. Yeah. yeah instead of the negative things. Because there's plenty out there. Oh, man. That's why I don't is. watch the news. I haven't watched it since my dad passed away. I refuse. Oh, yeah. Just it's just sad things. I don't right. know about it. And the last thing that has really stuck to me is Natalie recommended that book by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry. And I've started it. I'm reading it slowly because it is so dense and it brings mm-hmm. up so much. And sometimes when we read hard things, we need to take it take slow. A break. But the challenge is not saying what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. Mm-hmm. And that I think goes along with what Amy said. You know, when we think attention seeking, mm-hmm. ask yourself, are they connect- at seeking connection? Just rephrasing I think a lot of times can help us in situations. I think so too. So I think uh, I've practiced the I can or I statements, not I can statements. That's the teacher in me. 
you know, I feel is less controversial than you always in any situation. Oh, yeah. Um, so I've tried that at school and I've tried it at home. It's just, it's, it's a practice behavior. It is. It yeah. is practice. It's not going to be our reaction, yeah. our immediate reaction. Practicing the pause. Oh, oh I'm so glad Practic- I learned that. Practicing the pause is coming up today in our yes. discussion again. It's just great stuff. I think Amy said silence is a superpower. And yeah, <laughs> I really think it is because you don't have to say everything that you think. Mm-hmm. And so many times the pause is needed for them, for the student to. Right. Yeah, think yeah. about it. And oh, and the last thing that I want to hit on is Walter. Oh, man. not dancing with Walter. That's huge. A friend of mine that teaches here in town. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a dyslexia therapist too, and she kind of coaches teachers. And she made that for all her teachers. She made the poster. And we such good information. We need to put it on our mirrors, our As cars. Angie, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Yes. Yeah. So. Okay, are you ready for today? Let's go. All right. Let's do it. The content of today's episode stemmed from our own personal learning on our our very own podcast. We've learned probably more than anybody else. I've learned so much. So much. So much. um, Today, we are going to focus on something that's huge, something that can help you in your personal lives, both in your home and in your classroom. And that topic is... Drum roll. Mm -hmm. Emotional regulation. regulation. Ooh, get ready, people. (laughs) Okay, we are really going to break down this topic of emotional regulation. We want to empower you and equip you with tools to help you regulate your own emotions and others. Kim and I have pondered on this topic a bunch. We have done lots of research to prepare for this episode, and we're excited. We know that a bunch of behavior problems that you guys uh, experience stem from emotional dysregulation. So we are very excited about today. We really want to challenge you listeners to think about how you can implement the information you hear and the strategy ideas that we're going to give you at home and at school at church, at Walmart, um, on yourself and with others. In the car driving. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Knowledge really is power, and we hope that today gives you lots of knowledge. Much of what we are sharing today comes from research that we've done from a book called All Learning is Social-Emotional Learning, and it's by Frey Fisher and Smith. I'll link that in the show notes. But actually, I used this as a textbook in my field one class that I taught uh, at the university level when we were studying SEL instruction. So anytime we see, say, SEL listeners, we're talking social and emotional learning. So that book, um, we got a lot of research out of, of course, Conscious Discipline and Ross Green. You'll probably hear those every episode that we talk about behavior. Brene Brown and some other folks. So we'll link all the books and resources in the show notes. Good. So before we really dig in, let's talk a little bit about SEL, that social and emotional learning and the instruction Mm -hmm. that we have to do. Emotional regulation fits underneath this topic. SEL instruction might be referred to as other things. You may have heard character education or soft skills, employability training, a lot of other things like that. Yeah. In Arkansas, we typically hear it called SEL, but we know we've got listeners in other states and this may, the other terms may hit your buttons. Yes. All right. So if you look at 
I pronounce it CASEL, C-A-S-E-L. It's a national organization focusing on social emotional learning. And I just wanted to share with you their definition. So we're all starting out on the same, uh, same page. It still defines social emotional learning as an integral part of education and human development. SEL is the process through which all young people and adults, so us too, acquire and apply the knowledge, skills, and attitudes to develop healthy identities, manage emotions, and achieve personal and collective goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain supportive relationships, and make responsible and caring decisions. So that was a, a big definition, but I just wanted to make sure that you know what all is involved in SEL. It's a huge, huge umbrella. It is. And it's so important. Gosh. So tell me, why should we, Kim, what's in your opinion? Why should we take time to explicitly teach SEL skills and then on the run be teaching them you know, in the moment. In the moment when, yeah. when, when it comes up. Right? Yeah. SEL develops life skills that can be applied in most situations. Kids have a lot coming at them mm-hmm. from different areas and they don't have the language no. to, uh, to deal with it or the skills. Mm-hmm. It's not something we can just tell them. We spend most of our day problem solving, making decisions, activating conflict resolution skills, goal setting. Reading and re- reading emotions and responding to those emotions and, and lots of other things. This situations encountered where we need SEL abound in school and in life. Yeah, I mean, it's just over all. If we tracked our day, listeners, and I know you can do this if you just pause and think about all the opportunities where responsibility, conflict, goal setting, problem solving that literally is all day long for us. That's right. So we have tons of opportunities to teach some skills. That and and there's a great effect size for that. Yeah. So research shows if I don't know if you're familiar with Hattie. So H A T T I E. I can't remember his first John. name. Yeah, John Hattie. Sorry, mm-hmm. John Hattie. I very much apologize to you. Um he does lots of research and there's books he has that have a meta analysis of research. And they t- he takes different skill or different strategies mm-hmm. and studies them in all kinds of different schools. So large, small, medium, city, rural, everything. So really, when you look at his work, you can see, are, are these strategies worth replicating? And I mean, and it is really kind of scary to look at sometimes of the research because maybe some practices that you love or your school implements not are not effective. backed. And so his scale and, and every strategy that he shares, he like a semicircle, right? Half circle. Mm-hmm. And he has a scale that he and his team deem appropriate strategies Anything above 0.4 is determined as something that you could, that you might consider replicating in schools. And in Hattie's research, social emotional learning has a 0.62 effect size that is well above the 0.4 and definitely worth replicating. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. SEL skills improve the retainment of knowledge lower stress and social skills, a stressed brain cannot learn. No, it cannot. And so definitely that's something that we can 
that's definitely another reason why we should implement Absolutely. some of this. So Frey, Fisher, and Smith, those people who um, wrote the all learning is social and emotional learning, they found that SEL skills help navigate life and avoid becoming victims or perpetrators. Yeah, man, that's big. That is scary. That that makes me just feel so compelled to teach kids some skills. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm with little third graders through sixth graders every day and and I look at those little baby faces and I don't want them to be victims. No. I don't I don't want them to suffer that. So giving them tools, mm-hmm. coping strategies and ways of interacting with the world are, are important to me. At the university level, I was amazed at how much I had to teach advocacy advocacy skills. Right. Yeah. They did not know how to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it floored me. You're 20. Right. You're 22. You're 26 or in your 40s. Right. But they My didn't have the skills. My used to say, no. you don't stand up for yourself, sis. <laughs> Nobody else is going to. That's right. <laughs> so teaching... You know, even with my children who are 9, 11, and, thir- 9, 11, and 13 right now, I am really working on teaching them to advocate for themselves. I just think it, so t- how to advocate for themselves in an appropriate way. Right, right. I, you know, my boys are dyslexic, mm. so I had to teach them how to yeah. do that. And actually, my youngest has been uh, a little more bold with his advocacy and he stands up for himself. Yeah. And, and it's needed. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially our girls too. Oh, now th- that girl of mine was strong. I didn't have, <laughs> you, do you do have I a strong girl. I raised a strong girl. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, I think sometimes boys maybe even nowadays are less inclined to speak out. Mm-hmm. They just don't talk as much. Right. They're not as vocal mm-hmm. as girls. So I think we've done as, as a society in the last few years done a pretty good job of realizing that we've got to make our girls strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't want our boys to be too strong, but so we've pulled back a little right. bit. Right. I think. Or that's what I see mm-hmm. yeah. as a mom. We don't want to we want to keep our boys strong and build our girls. Up. Absolutely. Yeah. We so. need those girls to be strong. So topics that fall under the SEL umbrella, according to Castle, are relationship skills. Now, who doesn't need that? Yeah. Decision-making skills. Mm-hmm. That's important. Mm-hmm. We need to know how to weigh our options. Social awareness, self-awareness, and self-management. Man. Okay, we've chosen just a one tiny piece of the puzzle today. We hope to do more episodes in the future about these other SEL skills because. I know, I know without a doubt that they can influence the productivity of our classrooms, mm-hmm. decrease disruptions, decrease behavior incidents, just all the positive things. Let's first define what is emotional regulation because that is the piece of the puzzle that we're pulling out of the SEL umbrella today. Okay. So tell us what emotional regulation is, Kim. It's a person's ability to effectively manage and respond to an emotional experience. People unconsciously use emotion regulation strategies to cope with different situations many times throughout our day. Mm. So I I can do this unconsciously and I can do it consciously. That's right. Yeah. Typically, if it's not taught. We're just getting unconscious. Unconsciously (laughs) responding. 
and it may not be appropriate. Right. Conscious discipline says that when we that when we do respond immediately, that it is our lower brain in control. That's and right. our lower brain brain is not not who needs to be responding. No. <laughs> Need that front part of our brain. Yes. Does the thinking. That's right. Okay, Kim, when have you exhibited emotional regulation in the past 24 hours? Getting up this morning. Oh, well, we did not. Brock and I pressed snooze not once, not twice, but three times. Oh, no, I didn't. I I got up. I pushed through. Uh, I used it choosing my response when my students acted up or just mm-hmm. acted silly in my class. Mm-hmm. I have the cutest kids, and I've got a few little cutie pie <laughs> boys that just want to be silly, you know? They're just mm-hmm. at that age to be silly, and I'm not going to get down on their level. That's right. And not lose it. Yeah. It's just. Really, honestly, with those children, usually it's just a look. Mm-hmm. Like just some a little teacher look. You got to yeah. get that teacher look. I don't <laughs> even have to use my words. Um, getting out the door every morning. but And this morning was another example to get my children to school. I'm having to use emotional regulation skills. Mm-hmm. And really, it is my either unconscious behavior that will put our morning in the southward downward spiral mm-hmm. or my regulated responses that will make everything okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, we determine, you always say this, the climate. We determine oh, the weather. We are the weather maker. We are the weather maker. We, we need to attach that poem. I can't remember who did it, but it is a poem about us being the weather maker. Oh, we need that. Oh, that's so good. Uh, You know, I love the golden Oreos. I don't know if you've tried those. Have you had them? They're life changing. Oh, they're so good. Using emotional regulation skills, that is an area that. Mm -hmm. That is. I probably need a little more emotional regulation. I know. I'm limiting myself to two right now. Let's break down some of the information that we found. Listeners, okay. really challenge you to think of why attempting this topic in our daily teaching might benefit our whole classroom. Mm. Okay, I want you to remember this. If you remember one thing from today, this is what I want you to remember, is that emotion influences learning and behavior. And that is why we're talking about it today. Mm-hmm. That's why we've studied so much for this episode is because Emotion influences learning and behavior. Um, The Frey and Fisher people say, much like a speed governor on an engine, they regulate the speed at which information and experiences are processed. So this is a great way to start is thinking really about emotions, which we're going to go through in just a minute. Um, When they run hot, your body can become overloaded. and we tend to react react to the to the reaction and we have to remember that so many times students are just becoming overloaded that we can't just tell them what to do we've got to guide them through it that's true and i i'm older now i, I see things from a different perspective than than people who are 20 years in or not, not 30 years Mm -hmm. in, you know, and I, I look at these children and I realize that some of the silliness is because 
they know they're dyslexic and they are a little bit anxious about that. And I've got them in there and we're working for 45 minutes to, to an hour on something that they're not good at. Right. And they don't really like to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, who likes to do something that you're not That's right. Good at? <laughs> and so telling them to calm down, I mean, did that ever work for anybody? No, no not didn't. really. <laughs> no. So I think Frey and Fisher really challenge us to examine and restructure our classrooms and our schools to better support this. That's right. And that is, that's going to be huge. Um, so Kim found a great graphic that we are going to put in the show notes. And it is showing the ways that we regulate ourselves mm. and the effectiveness of them. Oh, you got it right there too. Yeah, I do. Okay, let's yes. just walk through and share some strategies that are on this. And then... As we're sharing, guys, you can think, "Mm, do you think this is effective or ineffective strategy? Right. So problem solving is a strategy. Changing the situation, plan to address the root cause, getting a plan, just turning, making about face. Okay. The mean is 67. Oh, so effective people. Very effective. Effective. Um, what do you think, listeners, about thinking about yourself or the situation in a new way? So like Amy's example of, oh, she's just attention seeking to hmm, maybe she's con- uh, seeking connection. That's reappraisal. Or it, Oprah's book. Oh, yeah. What, what happened, happened to you? you? Instead of what's wrong with mm-hmm. you. Right. So both of those are are reappraisal situations. Do you think that's effective or ineffective? What's the verdict, Kim? Uh, That is 52. That's 52. So that is an effective thing Mm -hmm. to do. Um, hmm, Another Mm. one, oh, just gathering information. You know, like thinking about what what, hap- what happened on the playground <laughs> uh, or right. that fact that happened. I think gathering Natalie facts. talked about that, about listening oh, yeah. non-judgmentally mm-hmm. and just getting the information. Right. Even if you don't do anything with it right then, you might do something with it later. Well, then you might see a pattern if that child's involved in another situation. If you're just gathering facts, it may this situation and the next situation and the next one, then you might have a great equation to be able to make a decision. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Another strategy that we do is acceptance. So accepting our emotions, accepting the situation. It is what it is. We have chaotic jobs. Mm-hmm. We have stressful jobs and we we just accept it for what it's worth. You know, Natalie said something that really rung true for me or struck a chord with me really. And I've actually used it. She said, even at a young age, she would tell herself, Natalie, you're just having a bad day. Mm. This is just a bad day. Right. I literally have said that to myself Mm -hmm. lately when I just felt a little bit overwhelmed. I would think this will go away. Mm -hmm. This This is is not forever. This is not forever. This is just a bad day. And I think teaching kids to say that would be huge. It would be huge. Mm -hmm. This was not my best math class. This was not, you know, whatever. And that is shown to, it has a 46 mean. So that's something effective Mm -hmm. for us to do. Let's talk about some things that are not so effective to do that we might, that I think, well, you. I do all the things. (laughs) I am. I try to fix 
if somebody's not nice to me, I will go overboard trying to do something, do something to make them nice. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Maybe you could just reappraise it or maybe get some emotional support or try try to to problem solve solve the situation. Another thing I do, and that was just, okay. So that one was 21. Okay. It's weak. Yeah. But this is my biggest one. I leave. Mm -hmm. I just run away. I'm a flight person. So I just go into myself and I'll just leave and avoid. And I do the most ineffective strategy is conceal emotions. So just hiding Mm -hmm. how I feel. Even though Brock knows that he can tell my weather is terrible, that there's thunder and lightning, but I'm, I'm just acting or supposedly acting like everything is okay mm-hmm. when I am boiling underneath my skin or at least simmering. Yes. And concealing your emotions, friends, is not shown to be effective. Six, Laura. Six. I think I need to work on my emotion regula- emotional regulation strategies. Me too. And, you know, it's just thinking we just make our lives harder when we just cover it up. And so we want to be careful with our students in saying, put a lid on it, zip it up, dry up those tears and things like that. We have to be careful because we are, we are teaching them the strategy of concealing their emotions. Mm -hmm. And And we can use empathy. This is not in here, but I've learned this with my own children and my grandchildren and teaching kids you know what? I know that you're upset right mm-hmm. now and you have a right to be upset. We can talk about that later. I understand. Even with a little child who wants to wear the red shirt. Right. I know you want to wear the red shirt today, but today at school, you're supposed to wear this t-shirt. Mm-hmm. All the kids are wearing it because it's a field trip. Yeah. You can wear that tomorrow. I know you're upset, but it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow you can wear that right. shirt. So just, just empathizing and acknowledging I realize you're not happy about Mm -hmm. this right now. I know. I would be upset too. And you're not saying change your emotion. You're just offering offering hope. That's right. (laughs) That red shirt is coming to you. solving. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to go through the different components of emotional regulation. Now, again, we're quoting Frey Fisher and Smith. I want you to know that emotional regulation is layered and it's not complicated to learn. You will get this today, but it is so hard to practice. It is a practice. It is a practice. And we can get there at just, and with a little bit of work and instruction, our kids can get there too. They can. Our personal kids, our, our adult kids. and our husbands. <laughs> Gosh, that made me laugh. Um, and in our students, we just need to know, guys, that telling them what to do is not a toolkit. I know. And I've heard this, this quote for years. So I Googled it, see mm-hmm. who did it. His name is Robert Maker. It was in 1968. He said, if telling were teaching, we'd all be so smart, we could hardly stand it. <laughs> I love that quote. That is great. Everything is a practice skill. It really is. And what we're trying to do, guys, is not, is to help ourselves and kids not go down the downward spiral but go up an upward spiral. So I thought I would give an example of that. I did the study, Get It Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen. 
and it was a, it's a biblical story, biblical study in Philippians, but she gives an example of a downward spiral. So let's say I'm feeling sorry for myself. Okay. And I, I feel that emotion. And then immediately my thought is I'm a victim, you know, like everybody's out to get me. Mm. I'm just whatever. And then my behavior would be that I complain. So I'm calling you Kim and I'm griping about it. Oh yeah. And then my relationships, the way I'm, I'm going to place blame on those other people that are doing this to me. So then I'm building resentment. And then the consequence is I'm just unhappy. You know, even though you're talking me, talking to me about it, I'm upset about it. So that is a downward spiral. That's good. That is a good example. Mm-hmm. Let's look at it and go up. Let's go up. Okay. So the emotion, I am feeling sorry for myself. Okay. And then right there, when I feel that I'm whatever, everybody's out to get me or nobody, whatever. Nobody pays attention to me. Nobody pays attention nobody to me. Nobody cares. Um, you know, no one likes to put up their socks and I am left picking up socks. I can choose to immediately, I, can, I, I have a choice and I can choose to be grateful no matter what life brings. So, okay. Laura, you're feeling sorry for myself. You, let's stop and be grateful and think about what we have grateful to be, what we have to be grateful for, and consider the situation. So then, my emotion will impact my thought, and I'll know that my circumstances are an opportunity to learn mm-hmm. or to grow. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it is, you know, if I'm feeling sorry for myself about a situation, maybe I did something wrong. And so I need to look at it and think, okay, I have a choice to learn something from this. And maybe it's going to be hard, but maybe it'll help me grow. And if that's my thought, then my behavior is more in the thankful lens rather than the complaining lens. Hmm. And I think my behavior would be in the consideration lens too. And then my relationships, I'm looking at forgiving, forgiving myself, forgiving others for whatever the situation had. And then the consequence is joy. Okay, let's take me for example. Okay. Yes, I spent the weekend with my baby grandson who's six months old. Cutest kid you've ever seen. Oh, he is cute. Oh, my goodness. But they live six hours away. So we were together all weekend. I got to play with him, hold him, play in the water, feed him, all the fun things. Yesterday, I had to leave him Mm -hmm. and I cried. And I felt sorry for myself because my son lives six hours away. (laughs) But if I take the gratitude, Mm -hmm. I have a healthy baby. Right. And he is a beautiful, kind, loving mother who shares him with me. It could be worse. Mm -hmm. And I have a great son and they are wonderful parents. So I need to be grateful for that. Right. Instead of feeling sorry for myself. And think about, I just did get to spend the whole weekend with him. Lexi does FaceTime. Absolutely. I get pictures constantly. And so I I do have a connection with this baby, even though I am not in the same neighborhood. That's right. Yeah. So I really have to talk myself. I'm one that has to do that Mm because I could sink into a spiral there. Oh, sister, I'm right there with you. (laughs) And our children are too. Our students are too. And it does not matter how old your students are. Oh, yeah. They, when they experience an emotion, many times it can be a downward spiral or an upward spiral. I even think happiness can have a downward spiral. Oh, really? I don't like Brene Brown made me think about this. 
like, let's say that you're having the time of your life and you think, oh my gosh, I'm probably going to die in the next five minutes. You know, I've reached the mountaintop or um, we, we, we start that stuff. Or you're on vacation. You think I only have four more nights. I only have three more nights. I only have two more nights. Oh, so we really have to watch ourselves and, and help kids upward spiral instead of downward spiral. That's, that is great. And we need to make that into a poster. Does she have that in a poster? Well, I can. Jenny Ellen. Jenny, I hope. I mean, you'll never listen to us, but I I think I'll just take a picture and I'll give Jenny credit and you know it, but I think it would be great for you to see. And then you could practice even thinking about a common spiral that you go into, a thought rut Mm -hmm. and practice what do you usually do that goes into a downward spiral? And then what could you do to be an upward spiral? Yeah, I love it. Okay. So the next section of our podcast is going to be, we're going to cover, I think it's five different uh, areas within emotional regulation. We're going to give you information about it. And then we will give you strategies that you can teach your students about it. And if, if the strategy differs between elementary and uh, upper level students, we will tell you. Okay. Okay. I love this next one and I can't wait for you to tell everybody about it because this was surprising to me and you've even used this. Mm-hmm. Identifying emotions. That is step number one, friends. Identifying emotions. Kids and us have limited knowledge about this topic. Yes. Brene Brown, guys, I just cannot encourage you enough to study her work. Most of her emotion work is in the book called Atlas of the Heart. I really think we should do a book study on her Dare to Lead. Okay. Um, But that's for a future. But anyway, what she found in her research is with adults is that most adults, when you say, tell me the emotions you feel comfortable with explaining, describing, all those things. And most adults in her study came up with three happy, sad, and mad. Mm. And that was it. And Brene just talked about, you know, really understanding what emotions really are and then driving students, kids, and adults to see that there is more than happy, sad, and mad. She says, emotions are a swirl of what we know, what we feel, and what we've been taught about how we feel how we show up when we feel, and the backstory. That's what leads up to our emotions. Okay, I'm going to read it again, guys, because that is layered. But I think it is so important that we get, we understand when we see emotions, and we'll talk about this more in a second, when we see emotions, what all is coming behind it. So it's what we know, what we feel, what we've been taught about how we feel, how we show up when we feel, and the backstory. That's what leads to emotions. Um, We are constant reader of emotions. Okay, so you're with River this weekend. So how did you read his emotions? Oh, my goodness. Well, he's he's a happy, happy baby. Most of the time, he's smiling and laughing. Okay. But he tried, we tried really hard for him to spend the night with (laughs) us because it was his parents' sixth anniversary and they haven't been... Lexi hasn't slept all night for six months, maybe a little bit more before he was born. And so we really tried. Well, he woke up at midnight and I was not his mother. 
So how did you, and he, you thought he, he was, was crying. He was crying and I tried to give him a bottle. Well, he doesn't take a bottle. Mm-hmm. She nurses. He takes one at daycare, but not in, not the, night. in the night. Mm-hmm. He takes it. He's with his mother right. and he wanted his mama. He was fine when he first, first woke up. And then he looked at me and realized he wasn't his mother <laughs> And he started crying, but it wasn't an angry man. He okay. was scared. All right. And Tim said, he's scared. Mm-hmm. He's scared you have to call his parents. And I tried to give him a bottle. I thought that would soothe him. Mm-hmm. No. No. No, he pushed that away. That was not what he wanted. Because you thought he was still scared. I thought he, yeah, yeah, he was scared. So we called his mama and daddy and they got up <laughs> in the night and came to pick him up. But even then when Lexi got him, he nursed ravenously out of a, a need for comfort. Mm-hmm. He needed yeah. her comfort. But most of the time he was, he was happy, but mm-hmm. he reads our emotions too. Oh yeah. Because when we smile, he smiles mm-hmm. and he responds to our emotions. I think in the classroom, we are, we are reacting to emotions all the time. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know this listeners, Brene Brown challenges us to think about when we are reading people's emotions, we cannot assume it is truth. Oh, yeah. Because remember, emotions have the backstory behind it. So all of your emotions are in you reading my emotions. Okay. Boy, this is good stuff. Oh, man. I could re- you know, that read her stuff all the time. You know, that reminds me of 9-11 because I was teaching second grade and, you know, you know it was tragic. My mm-hmm. kids had gone to a special class and the principal came down and said, don't let any children see this, but turn on the news. Right. And we saw the second tower fall. Mm-hmm. Right about the time that our kids were getting back to class, there was a bomb threat at my school. So we had to get, we know all this. So there's our backstory. Okay. And we have to get the kids out of the building. Mm-hmm. But if you'll think about that, just a few years, two years, three years before that, there had been oh, the a West Side. Ch- shooting at yeah. Westside. When they did the alarm and they had to get the kids outside. So in my mind, I'm terrified. And my kids could read that. Mm-hmm. They said, Ms. Kim, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, it's fine. We're going to go home early. Yeah. So we're going to get outside. They're going to pick us up. We'll all be together. But I was a nervous wreck because I've got West Side. I just saw the second tower mm-hmm. fall. I know there's a bomb threat. The children don't know. Right. So there's this whole backstory, but they could sense. I mean, they they just, knew something was wrong. They knew something was mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a scary, scary time. Okay. It is. It's just, it's, it's, it's just a huge concept mm-hmm. to dig into. Yeah. But what we want to make sure that we do is we don't make up the story for the kid about their emotion. Mm-hmm. Or anybody else. Or anybody else. Yeah. Um, we just don't need to skip it. And so, yes, that takes time. But if we just conceal that emotion all the time, we're going to pay the price for it later. Mm-hmm. And so it's just better to be proactive. Right. We'll be, Stephen Covey would be proud of us. He would be. Uh, so like I said earlier that in Brene's research, she found that most adults could just identify. I mean, Three. this is adults. She's not doing this with kindergartners. Three categories. And she found 87 emotions if you Google Plutnik's Wheel, and I will put that name down for you. Um, actually, I'll just go ahead and link the graphic I used with my college students. But in, in his research, he found eight basic emotions, but then 
he branched it out to be even deeper. So let, let me give you an example. Um, Do joy. Let's uh, find. Do acceptance. Okay, acceptance. So listen to the to the gradation mm-hmm. you, okay, so. of this here. So we've got acceptance, trust, admiration. Let's do um, do a negative one. A negative boredom. Then, if you upgrade it, it goes to disgust. And if you take it even further, it's loathing. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's important. Like Plutnik's tool, and there's many others, are just great for us to broaden broaden our emotional talk, our emotional language. To be able to give word language to yeah. Them. Like and, give it words. And, and offering, like today I was talking with one of my own children and he said something about hating something. And I said, well, do you hate it or do you dislike it? Or do you, you know, I gave another option, but I can't remember it. And then he realized he didn't hate it. Right. But maybe he's just annoyed. Yeah, I think so. But many times we just need to open up this language and have kids identifying the correct emotion. I think so too. So if you do the research and think about this stuff, identifying the correct emotion, we cannot respond correctly if we don't identify the correct emotion. If we just think it's sad. Yeah. And just think about that as a doctor. You know, a doctor can't give you the right medication if they've identified right. a different, pro- you know, the wrong problem. I found one for children, Laura that we can link and it's free. Okay. It's a PDF. And it gives angry, annoyed, or bored. Maybe they're bored or maybe they're fearful or maybe they're fed up. And these have facial expressions with so them. Cute. And so that would be a great conversation. I was thinking you could even do like elementary teachers could do feeling Friday in their um, morning meeting and just talk, introduce a new word. I found one also that is uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's the days of the week, and it has confused, sad, surprised, silly, mad, friendly, happy, great, angry, sick, disappointed, proud, or scared. Mm. So they could circle the one they felt that day. Mm -hmm. Or the ones that they felt that day. Or the ones, Mm -hmm. yeah. And kind of track that. We just need to really open up the language and I just want us to remember the emotional load that school brings upon our students. You know, if if we think about the emotional load it brings on us, and we do, we probably need to examine it deeper so we can problem solve. But our kids are facing that too. So this is step one. We're really making kids self-aware. All right. So let's share some strategies that you can do besides feeling Friday and using the feeling um the feeling faces that Plutnik's wheel or Plutnik's what it I think it's Plutnik's wheel. Plutnik's wheel of emotions is a great place to explore if you have older students. Yes, I would definitely not roll that out if you're elementary. Um, a word wall of emotions. I love that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is really good v- vocabulary. Like when I'm re- looking at it, astounded, mm-hmm. or- encouraged. Discontented, discontented, disoriented, humiliated. Oh, those are. I mean, and another recommend or another recommendation for you is to really emphasize the feelings that people have in stories your characters do. Oh yes, either nonfiction or fiction. Kids relate to books. 
kids can so relate. And then that opens up the vocabulary and then we can build that takes a self-connection. And then I think that will help the kids verbalize their feelings later. I think so too. But first they have to know what they are. Yeah. Not just happy, sad, or mad. Right. And we can't just put these words up on a word wall. We have to teach them and then... That's fine. Right. If, if, teach, if telling we're teaching, we don't think so smart, we couldn't stand it. Oh, I was thinking we need to do a, um episode about vocabulary too. Yeah. I was thinking, just like I did with Collier, you know, if a student walks up to me, I might say... I notice you are whatever. Frustrated. Well, I'm not going to name. I'm going to try to not name the emotion for them. I notice that you are. um, Not finishing your work. I'm noticing you're not finishing your work. Or I notice that you're putting your head down when I assign something. Are you blank or blank? You know, or none of those. Mm -hmm. But just trying to supply some options for them. That's a good idea. Yeah. I have a a little student who, well, he's he's a fifth grader, but I I know, I do notice that he puts his head down. He seems really tired. So I'm going to try this with him tomorrow. I'll let you know how that turns out. Okay. And remember, this is just step one. We've just got to get kids opening up their language. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, let's go on to the second one. The next thing that we need to consider and understand is self-perception. So Fisher, Frey, and Smith say children must learn to recognize, express, and regulate their emotions before they can be expected to interact with others who are engaged in the same set of processes. Self-perception is really about checking in with yourself about your present state and talking about what you're feeling and what others are feeling. And the main goal is to begin to anticipate, I, I start to feel like this when I am. Mm. I do this when I am feeling this way. So I can start to make plans to reach that e- equilibrium, to, not be, to no longer be dysregulated. You know, like thinking about what many times we go to school tired. Yes. And we can make plans for those situations. Right. Ahead of time. Ahead of time. Know that you're going to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so how can, how can I be at a good state when I get to school if I've not gotten enough sleep? Well, I can rock out to some music on the way. Mm-hmm. Or so a lot of you are coffee drinkers or something or like, let's say that in, for the classroom, we can compare it to there's a big test coming up and the students know it. So talking to them about, okay, what, you may be nervous, you might be anxious, and here are some things that you can do to help yourself. If you start to feel this way, then here's what you can do. Yes. Once I have words, then I can, I can start to, to recognize mm-hmm. that I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm humiliated when this happens. Oh, gosh, yeah. mm-hmm. oh humiliation stinks. It's terrible. Okay. Strategies for... that you can implement with your students. Now, middle school and high school, you could do check-ins throughout the day. You know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want you just to take a second and notice what you're feeling. Um, If you feel comfortable, you can share it with your group or you can just write it down or Mm whatever. You know, it's just a check-in. And then prompt them to say, now, what can you do about it? So I I recommend not giving all these questions at one time. Right, just one. One at a time. Notice what you're feeling. Now, what can you do about it? And then if you don't, giving that option, if you don't know what to do about it, 
you know, contact me or whatever. You can say, I need help creating a plan, or you can give them words that teach them advocacy. That's great. Stopping and noticing. Stop. Do you feel differently when you go to the E? Do you feel differently in art? Do you feel differently in music? And also in the element, in addition to stopping and noticing, just those gentle switches in feelings would be a color zone. I don't know. If, have you seen the color zones? No. Okay. I will, I will link the page that I bought this off of teacher pay teacher. Uh, what, what this does is it groups different emotions into zones, red, green, blue, and yellow. Okay. And like red ones are, have anger, some deeper emotions. Right. Blue are our calmer ones. Green emotions are usually ready to go. I usually think, I usually tell my teachers when I'm training them to guide students through this is we want kids in the green zone. And what we're doing is we're teaching kids to identify their emotions and find their zone and think, what will it take me to get to the green zone? So really role playing with them Mm -hmm. too would be a good way to, to activate that. Mm -hmm. And I think even Providing options, again, is a great way. Mm-hmm. So when they choose their zones, just remember they're not punitive. It's just about noticing and, and making an action plan on it. Okay. Um, everyone has feelings, and so we do not want that to become the major issue. It's about making sure that we have a good path out of our feelings and our emotions. Okay. Um, That's good. Yeah, it is. Uh, and you can, what I provided for my students were just, I just cut yellow, blue, green, and red cardstock up. Mm-hmm. And they kept those at the edge of their desk and they could flip to me when I would say, notice, notice your emotions. What are you feeling? Flip to your zone. I want to read the room. Okay. So you could do that. Or I mean, you don't even have to have colored cards, but it's just, Maybe you could just have it up on a big chart and just prompting your kids to notice what zone they're on and think, girls and boys, or ladies and gentlemen, we're really needing to be in this green zone. What can we do? To, do we need to deep breathe, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen? Do we need a brain do we, break? Do we need to stand? Like, what do we need to do? Um, modeling is huge for middle school and high school. Middle school, high school, elementary, everybody, adults. And again, linking to reading, guys, is just wonderful. And good grief, if your kids were writing like this with mm-hmm. their emotions, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh. Yes. Okay, our third topic to explore is a huge one. It's impulse control. And repeat after me. It is internal before it is external. external. Say it with me. It is internal Internal before before it is external. external. (sighs) Okay. Getting them to pause and think about the direction all the way through. Mm -hmm. We don't want a stimulus reaction. We want a stimulus and pause and then respond or react. Um, I I see this in, in kids all the time and it we tend to think, oh, it's because they have ADHD or they they have impulsivity problems. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just don't know what else to right, do. Right, right. They don't know there's another option available. And, and they've probably never been taught explicitly how to control that emotion. It has just been, hey, sit down. 
Right. Yeah. Stop. Uh, yeah. Stop. I've had some commands. It's, but not, it's not strategy guidance about how to handle those impulses. Yeah. So conscious discipline says our job is to pull the emotional work of impulse control forward. We need to explain it. We need to highlight it. We need to discuss it. And I know you think, oh, this is going to take time. But, but cons- you're spending time you're dealing spending with time. problems. Impulsivity. Yes. And so let's just be proactive. Do some whole group, small group, or one-to-one lessons and, and, and give some options about how we can control these impulses. And then, man, you will start saving time. Mm-hmm. It, every ounce of SEL instruction, I think you will reap rewards out of. I have no doubt. Um, another thing I found about impulse control is we've got to lower the mental volume in our head. So when you're angry, think about when you're really angry, the volume in your head is really loud. Mm-hmm. And for us to do great thinking, we have to lower the volume. Yes. Isn't that good? That's really good. That's really good. That's really good because you might be keeping it all in, but in your head, it's it's still really loud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember a Dennis the Menace cartoon years, probably 40 years ago, and he was in trouble. His mother put him in the corner to sit in a chair, and he said, I'm sitting down in the chair, but I'm standing up in my head. <laughs> <laughs> that is really good. Okay, so thinking about, you know, you can, this is much easier to do with anger and fear. Those are easy to start with because they are such hot emotions Mm -hmm. and such big ones. But what I want you to think about yourself, and then you can start working, working on plans for your students, is to really how to process the emotions and to coach yourself through them. Then you might be able to coach others. Yes. Yeah. So we really want to support efforts to develop you know, that knowledge of how to divert those emotions, how to direct the emotions into appropriate ways and activate some plans. And what causes them? So let's think about Mm -hmm. some strategies. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to look for triggers. What is triggering that emotional response? I'll tell you one that triggers me into terrible responses is hurrying. Mm, Yeah. As a teacher, when I'm trying to wrap up something really quick, I shut down listening. It's just about me her finishing this up. I am talking like I am not responding I'd like to directly. Have, check my blood pressure when that happens because I've had <laughs> two minutes and I have ten minutes left or whatever. <laughs> my then, heart rate is out the door. And then at home, of course, when we're in a hurry, I mean that is that's a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. And you do not see great Laura Wooldridge at that point. And I know that's a trigger. And that is very important for me is to start developing a plan so I can coach myself. Right. And I can walk myself through it. Like, like Amy said, she may not be doing it, but she is coaching herself until she gets there. And I think that's what we've got to start doing for ourselves, and, 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 and to help our kiddos. I mean, if you see it, like if you're like me and you see a phone out, man, it flies all over me. Mm-hmm. And, but I have got to regulate that emotion and think about how I can respond appropriate instead of just reactive. Yeah. Okay. What's something else we can do? We can do listening games and activities mm-hmm. and practice situations. Yeah. I mean, that we can do that easily in the elementary, but man, do we still need it at high school? Yeah. 
Yes, yeah. we do. So if you have a home room, you know, that may be a great time to do that. Just occasionally dot in some, especially if you notice problems, you know, right. trends. Yeah. It'd be yeah. great to do. A place to chill out, like a calming corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, conscious discipline teaches that it takes two to solve a problem. And those two are inside of you. So it is the reactive person. And then it's the you, the person that needs to rise above and analyze the situation. I'm very frustrated at my boys for not having their, or for getting their backpack at home. Because we always ha- hand, hold up three fingers in the car. You're responsible for three things. Water bottle, backpack, shoes. <laughs> because we've gotten to school and had no, no shoes. shoes. <laughs> and so that is on Not my list boys. now. But, you know, thinking about that, when, when, when one of those, when we're driving out of the driveway and that does not happen, even though I've held up my three hands, three fingers and said, check yourself, you know, I've got to become that higher person who's talking to mm-hmm. Laura and saying, and not the response, re- reactive yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, taking 10 before you speak, really activating that pause is huge. Mm-hmm. Yes. Practice the pause. Mm-hmm. And um, modeling is always great. Always. There's a lesson that I stole from Kagan, um, and it's called one. Stop Hack is the way I pronounce it. I want you to visualize listeners going down. That is a mnemonic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or acronym. Or acronym. So I've got stop and then a space and then I have H-A-C-C. H-A-C-C. I've used this with teachers because I train teachers that are pre-K through 12. And what I tell them is these are eight great options to control your impulses. So these are options. This is not, we're going to do all these. Right. And so if you're teaching kindergarten, you're not rolling out all eight. And also if you're teaching 12th grade, you're not rolling out all eight. But what you can do is build your list as you go throughout the year. And just offering options for how to control those impulses. Mm-hmm. So the S stands for sharing your feelings. And that's why it's important for us to teach appropriate right. because yeah. they, they've got to name that correctly. T would be to take turns. So if Kim and I are in an argument, you get to say something, I say something. You say, I say. Well, that's good for marriage. That is good for marriage. <laughs> and so it just doesn't turn into me just voicing my, mm-hmm. you know. Um, another impulse control strategy is outside. Move away from the situation. This would be really helpful, you know, especially a student who's very upset, just pulling them outside in the hall or away from the situation, mm-hmm. just to allow them to gather their thoughts. Postponing. Postponing. Man, this is good for teenagers mm-hmm. when you're dealing with teenagers because you're just getting there, Laura, but I've raised three. I'm nervous. And it, you know, you, it is so powerful to say to a kid, especially if they come home late, they're 45 minutes after curfew, they haven't answered their phone. <laughs> you're sure it. they're laying in a ditch somewhere and they come in. And if you just say, I love you and mm-hmm. I'm so glad you're safe. I want you to go to bed. We'll talk about this tomorrow. Well, the whole time they're feeling (laughs) 
if you had gone off on them, that's what they're expecting. Right. If you postpone that, and let's say you're doing that with students. You know what, Laura? It's been a tough day. Mm -hmm. I care about you. We're going to talk about this later. I'll come get you after after you have a chance to play and we'll discuss it, okay? I love that you pointed out because you are highlighting the connection mm-hmm. and also showing a strategy. Yeah. And then when you do come back to it later saying, yeah. Okay. You know, the reason why I thought we should talk about this later is because, right. you know, I was very un- I was very unhappy with the decisions that were made mm-hmm. and I would have not been kind. Right. Right. And that's when you could practice this you share your feelings and then mm-hmm. we're gonna take turns. You so I could combine. First. Yeah, you yeah, could. Be yeah. That's a good one. Um, okay, so those are four. So share share your feelings. You say I say, take turns, move outside of the situation, postpone, talk later. But then there are four more human yeah. <laughs> Humor. humor. Respond with humor is another tactic. Oh, that's just good. lightening the situation. Yeah. So the other day, one of I have two children of mine who swat my booty or tap <laughs> it or play. I'm just boys, come on. I don't know what's going on. But one of mine walked by and popped me a good one. And I I did stimulus pause response. I did not speak. And he looked at me and I looked at him and I said, I have chosen to not say anything. And he said, why? I said, so I wasn't going to be nice to you at all. And he started laughing and the mood just lightened. Right. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, that, that wasn't, that wasn't true humor, but it is laughing got involved. Yeah. yeah. Lighten the mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, avoiding now, I, I'm not for sure about this, but it, it says avoid and go on. I think maybe in the moment, but then address it later. Well, I think this is true when you have little bitty kids mm-hmm. and you're teaching on the carpet and you have a group and you're reading a story. Oh, yes. And you've got kids. My hand raiser. Yeah. And we're just going to go on and you might just nod them, mm-hmm. nod at them. Yeah. And or, you don't have to stop the lesson and just talk about it right then. You might just give a nod or a wink or a... Uh, I do the meet the parents two eyes, point yeah. to my two eyes, point to their eyes, yes. or draw the line across my top of my forehead saying, that's it. You right. know? Yeah. I, I, okay, that is good because in, in time of conflict, I don't need to address every single no, thing. No, no, no. Okay, the last two, we've got C and C is compromise for let's work together. And really, this is huge that you have to support because many times the kids who are not getting along cannot see how they need how they can work together. Right, yeah. And so offering that, you know, right. what are your strengths and what are your strengths? Name me a strength of your friend. Right, that's good. And let's figure out how we can make the situation better. And the last one is chance, you know, give them a chance, give yourself a chance. You know, how can you give the person a chance? How can you give yourself a chance right. um, in a time of conflict? Uh-huh. Mm. I will post, I will post that um, little acronym chart because it is a great, a great visual for you to remember of what we can do to help kids and ourselves in a time of conflict. That's good. Yeah, I like that. Yes. Strawpack is great. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you taught me that. Thank you, Spencer Kagan. Yes. All right. So the, our fourth 
a topic under emotional regulation is delaying gratification. Ooh. No, I don't like that. It's terrible. <laughs> Why do we have to do that? Our uh, culture of instant gratification. So this one's a hard. This one is one. hard. Yeah. But a great thing for us to remember is we need to be reliable. Our word must be gold. And if I say something, girls and boys, whatever, we set a reward and I'm bringing popcorn on Friday and I forget it. Mm. If that happens, I need to acknowledge it. I just don't need to hope that they're not, that they don't notice. We need to be as consistent as possible. I really need to put popcorn in my bag on Wednesday so I don't forget it on Friday. But just, you know, delaying gratification, a huge part of it is building trust that we are trustworthy, that the kids, you know, we can trust them, et cetera. Right. And they, a lot of our students come from a place where they can't trust. So they need to be able to depend on us. Mm -hmm. They've been let down so many Mm -hmm. times and we're really trying to do to stay away from that. That's right. Um, so learning to, I should have said this at the beginning, but learning to delay gratification is dependent on trust. Oh, okay. So you can't, I, I can trust you when, I mean, I can delay my gratification because I know every time you're going to do what you said you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can, to make it very simple and kind of humorous, if I can delay my gratification of having just two Oreos because I know they're going to be there. Yes. That's the whole premise behind um, intermittent fasting. You're going to delay, not deny. Oh, that's right. Because at noon, I will eat. I'm not going to deny myself anything Mm -hmm. that I really want. I'm just going to delay it. Mm -hmm. I can wait. That's right. And the red shirt, you know, coming back to that, we're delaying gratification. You can wear it tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's think about strategies to help build delaying gratification up with our students. Okay. Setting reasonable and attainable classroom goals. Mm. Setting a goal that they can actually do. Mm -hmm. That means it needs to be short. Yes. If you do nine weeks goals, you need to teach your kids how to break that nine weeks goal down into weekly goals. An eighth grader cannot see nine weeks of vision. No. My college students, we had a huge project of making a classroom management plan. And I could not just say, here's our end product for December for finals week. Mm -hmm. We had to break it down bit by bit. There's just no way. Right. We get lost. I think we get lost in it if we don't do that. I've got a little boy. His, he's, he's so cute. Oh my goodness. I just bring this child home with me. Now he has a really hard time sitting down. He really does. <laughs> Schools are not set up for little boys. Oh, really. Who are busy, busy bodies. Busy little mm-hmm. boys. And he's just a little third grade boy. So his um, delayed gratification is if we make it through a lesson tomorrow, he can sit in my chair. Oh. You would have thought that I had given him a <laughs> piece of gold. All he, he just wants to sit in my chair, just sit in the teacher and chair. It, and that is enough. Just tomorrow, tomorrow. is probably all that yeah. he can handle. And tomorrow he's going to sit in my chair mm-hmm. because he was so precious. Mm-hmm. He's so precious every day. He's just, you know, just sitting is, it's, it's, it's a, a challenge. It is so mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. He lacks those skills. Yeah. So really thinking about if you do reading goals, behavior goals or whatever, it may need to be on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It may need to be bi-weekly or weekly. We can stretch it out too, right? Yeah. So like we've done this, so if you can do it for oh, two days. Oh, yeah. 
mm-hmm. building up that. Right. What would you call that? Yeah. Like chat delay. Don't yeah. deny. Yeah. Well, you're you're lengthening the delay. Yes. Which is building the skill even to be yes. stronger. Yes. I think about schools who have attendance goals. We need to think about our audience. You know, can the kid control it? No. They can't drive. They cannot drive. And thinking about making sure that your goals are realistic, practical, appropriate, all those things, because that's... We literally had a child say that, a kindergartner, last year, if you made, you you didn't even have to have perfect attendance. If you were there like 95% of the time, Mm -hmm. something like that. So if you made your attendance goal... Um, you got to have a special play day. Well, this little boy didn't. Right. And he literally said to us, I don't know why I'm in trouble. I can't drive. He can't get to school. <laughs> Bless his heart. I know. It broke my heart. I mean, yes, we want kids at school and we want kids reading. So if we are going to do these types of things, we just need to really ponder it from the kid's viewpoint mm-hmm. and think about, is it appropriate? And will delaying the gratification of this really work? Right. Yeah. 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 It can't be too long. No. No. Okay. Oh, and I think, um, you know, they always need a visual of their goal. Oh, yes. They do. Some them tracking it, or if you're Kent K and one, you know, you tracking it with them. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's building up other skills. Right. But they need a visual. They do. Okay. I need a visual. Gosh, our I habit tracker. My habit tracker. We which, need a visual. Man, I, I'm such a better person on my habit tracker. I'll link that, friends. Okay, our last component of emotional regulation is stress management. Okay, we're going to do a lot of stress management studying in October from the teacher view, but really we're just kind of focusing on the kiddos on this part. So what I want you to know, are there are two types of stress. There's distress and eustress. Distress is the bad stress and the eustress is the stress that's good, that kind of promotes us being productive citizens that's in the right. world. We don't want distress. Right. We don't perform as well. We forget more. Oh, we can't I mean, retain yeah. when we're distressed and anxious. Uh, we avoid it, it is a blocker to learning. When when you are stressed, you are not learning. Yes. That's right. We've really got to help our kids manage their stress because not always are they telling us and not always do they show us. That's right. It's really needing to promote recognizing, so promoting their awareness of stress signals. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that feel like? What does it look like? And how to manage those stress level with options. The strategies that we can do with kiddos, and, and really I, I was prompting a former student today, we can do hard things. You can do hard things. I am. What are you? I am smart. I am bold. I am organized. You know, getting them to really start speaking some truths to become to that higher, to get to right. that higher brain and functioning. That, that positive self-talk mm-hmm. yeah. really is important. Yeah. We have choices. We can go up or we can go down. Mm-hmm. We can spiral up or we can spiral down. Let's spiral up. <laughs> Let's spiral up. Think positive. Yeah. Really, really coaching yourself that we must learn to coach ourselves when we're stressed. Breathing. Breathing is huge. You know, I have had to have mammograms. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad they tell me to breathe because <laughs> they're going to pass out that say, Don't breathe. Hold, hold your breath. 
And then they say, breathe, and it's a good thing because I don't. <laughs> I just picture you passing out. Oh, you know, I Natalie taught us that square breathing. Yes, and I, I love that. I have taught all my boys that. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. And I have been activating it myself. I need to teach my Luke, my Luke, I mm-hmm. believe, too, that because he really gets anxious about things. It's a great, it is a great option to teach kids. Yes, I love it. There's also something called bumblebee breathing, which I learned about from Frey Fisher and Smith. I go- just Google it, friends. You'll get an entertainment. It is something that you would want to do as a class, not as an individual. I will tell okay. you that. <laughs> oh, posture, Laura. Okay, so teaching kids how to maintain posture when you're mm-hmm. stressed. Think about how we look when we're stressed. I, I got my hand on my head or whatever. Uh, we have a poster that we put up in the classroom called the listening learning position. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is all about posture yeah. and holding yourself upright. The more oxygen's going to my brain, mm-hmm. I, it's like more power. That's another option to manage That's your nice. stress. Yeah. And we really want to pay attention to the environment that we're creating in our classroom, that it's not inducing stress. That's right. <laughs> No clutter. I cannot do clutter. My classroom is very non-cluttered. Everything that's up has a purpose. And making sure that we do take down some of those anchor charts. They don't have to stay up. They do not have to stay up. No, they do not. And making sure that your students are very aware of their noise level and how that noise level impacts their friends, their thinking, and the classroom as a whole. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge you know, really to push them out that this is not just them. That's right. You know, if you read Ruby Payne's book, The Culture of Poverty, mm-hmm. she talks about... Oh, I forgot about this, Kim. I know. Share it. About the the noise, the, the level of noise in homes of poverty. Mm-hmm. It's louder. So making children aware of the... the in school, right. it's not going to be the same, and we have to bring our noise level down. It's not that they're trying to be loud or disruptive. It's just the it's way they're the living, right? right. Sometimes so. you notice that with like third kids or fourth kids, oh, you yes. know, they have to be loud to be heard. To heard. Yes, to be heard. That's um, right. I, gosh, that's just really good. Um, and teaching them how to regulate that noise would right. would be huge, and and they. And Ruby Payne talks about how it's really difficult to cross. It's as difficult for a child of poverty to cross into that middle class level. And it's equally as hard for those of us who are middle class, those of us who are teachers and middle class people to to move back or up Mm -hmm. to that class of wealth. We Uh don't know. We don't know the social constructs of that. Right. So children of poverty don't know the social constructs of middle class. And we have children of poverty in our schools and they don't fit in well with middle class. And we have to teach them those social mm-hmm. constructs. Yeah. They don't know and, that being loud is not how everybody's home is. And we're not ever going to downplay the homes of our children. No. We may be talking about what's an appropriate learning volume mm-hmm. when I'm teaching or when we're talking, you know, talking about the differences in those and some kind of indicator for right, that. Right. Right. Another way that we can help uh, kids manage stress is just being very upfront with them. You know, that's, it's great to show a rubric, how they'll be graded and really walk through that showing model examples and, I mean, having them help you grade one before they even do one. Right. Yeah. 
I think that that just lowers the stress because I know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Giving them cues for what's what's coming. Yeah. yeah, I think they need that'd that. be so helpful. Right. Okay, so Kim found a target model, and you guys get ready because this is awesome stuff. I think it is. The target model uses seven steps to move from high levels of distress to calm, clear, calm thinking by using an acronym, FREEDOM. So the F in FREEDOM stands for focusing, concentrating on a single idea grounded in our core values and a sense of authentic self. So really concentrating on what what's important, mm-hmm. right? And maybe even like what is true, what is important what is, and what, what is, is true. true. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Just that that sync our core value. What's the most important mm-hmm. thing? The R stands for recognizing or paying attention to identifying what is triggering the alarm reaction for us. What is it that's causing us to respond in such a way? So we're going to focus, concentrate on what's grounding us. We're going to recognize what's triggering us Mm -hmm. and alarming us, even a small thing. Yeah, like smacking. Yes, that makes me want to lose my mind. Um, Evaluating, noticing the difference between ways of making sense of reality, which are alarm-driven versus more adaptive goals associated with our main mode. So when we are a lot, we have different responses. Our brains, when we've studied about trauma and how it affects our ability to remain calm and thoughtful, they describe our brain as having three basic areas using metaphors for these complex brain functions, such as number one is the alarm center, two, the filing center, and three, the the thinking center. Mm-hmm. So when we're in our alarm center, we're in that alarm mode, we aren't filing away information Mm-mm. and we're not thinking about options. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> so we need to evaluate mm-hmm. what mode we're in. Are we alarmed? Are we thinking? Are we filing away information? So that's evaluating. Defining, identifying the goals that come out of thoughtful consideration and a set, a separating those from our alarm-based goals. So what is what's our goals when we're thinking through things, mm-hmm. right? So this is the way I'm wanting to react, but is it going to get me to whatever right. I need to be? Right. So following through to the natural consequences. Then options, identifying and pursuing adaptive choices, separating them from our alarm-based behaviors. So what are my options here? What can I do? Mm-hmm. That will benefit me. That will benefit me. <laughs> and, and others. <laughs> right. And make the situation better. Yeah. And then the M is making, noting that we're making a proactive, positive contribution by getting ourselves out of that alarm mode. Mm-hmm. We tend to get in that alarm mode and that's when we become Im- uh, impulsive. Yeah. And very, very So reactive. we need to really, we'll link, this is all in the show notes, but really going through those steps. Mm-hmm. And you know, that, that freedom model might be something great to teach to high school you know, in bits, but you can still adapt some of that for your little kids. You can. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to start with our basic grounding and what's most important to us. We've practiced that may replace these old habits like yelling, Mm -hmm. raising our voice, saying something that we shouldn't say to a new habit, Mm -hmm. like practicing the pause. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard and it's going to take intentional work, but you will see fruit out of it. 
Mm-hmm. And man, when you start doing it, then your students are going to start doing it little like, by little. Right. It's like that thing I used to say to my kids when they would walk out the door, my own children, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Mm-hmm. So reminding of who we are and what's important to us can help us snap out of that storm of distressing emotions enough to consider that we have alternatives. Yeah. We don't have to respond that way. So, we are better people than that. Man, I think what powerful who we are and whose we are. Yeah. You know, we, we are a class family. We belong. Yeah. I am your teacher. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine from now till the <laughs> till end of ma- time. Yeah, that's true. Past that's right. Um, so listeners, what we would really like for you to do is think about how can you take all this information and really make it work for you? What are some things you can do to regulate your impulses? What are some things that you can do to manage your stress and really take it upon yourself to make a list of some just ideas that you can implement and that you can begin to start practicing? That's right. I think the biggest thing for me, Laura, is just really being conscious Mm -hmm. of naming my emotion and figuring out what's triggering that and how are ways I can respond in an effective way. Right. And maybe think, t- maybe considering the emotions are the biggest triggers in your classroom and make a plan for those first. Mm-hmm. You know, the ones that you really are your go-to reactions and planning for those because that will make the biggest difference. And it will be the hardest work. Oh, it's so hard. But we have done some hard work of learning <laughs> and trying to implement everything we're learning. From our guests. But man, I do feel, I, I feel so much better. I do too. Yeah. I and, do. and I think that it will continue to get better if I continue to be intentional about it. Uh-huh. Thank you guys for going deep with us. It's all, that's all we have for you guys today. We hope that we've given you some things to chew on and really just th- things to consider that will help you in and outside the classroom. We want to encourage you to invest time into this. We know that you will see rewards out of it. Absolutely. Looking toward the future, we have a three-part series coming up, three episodes, and they're all focused on engagement, engagement engaging stuff. our learners. So we have an episode next week that will just be general uh, information about engagement. We have a fantastic guest and we will, then we'll begin sharing and then the following two episodes, strategies for you to implement in your classroom. And those will be pre-K through 12 and, or excuse me, pre-K through adult education. And we are excited about that because engagement is a passion for both of us. All right. We want our kids to be engaged. Absolutely. They're not learning if they're not. They're not. (laughs) As always, please share this podcast with others. Rate and review on your podcast app that helps other people find us. We're excited that our community is growing. We hope that today has helped you in some way. Our goal is to help at least one teacher help one student one day in one time. Bye, everybody. Bye. See you next time. One thirty 